Well, we've, we've come to the, the last of the messages on the, the Decalogue. Yes, it's a Decalogue. It's not a Nuevalogue. There was a, a friend from, from uh, Central who's living in Texas now, uh, Nate Irving, and he always posts something about the Lord's Day on Sunday morning. And he had a picture of someone trying to chisel out the fourth commandment and uh, to remind us that there are ten and not nine commandments. We've come to the tenth and the precept of the tenth commandment. As you know, most of the commandments are given in the prohibition form. There's summary statements of the categories in each of these ten um, commands. And for every precept, there is a prohibition. And for every prohibition, there's a precept. And so we've considered each commandment twice. First with the, the prohibition and the, the, the second with the precept. Well, as you know, the tenth commandment is thou shalt not covet. And we read, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So we have the prohibition form. Thou shalt not covet. But what is the precept form of the tenth commandment? Well, we read together in Hebrews 13 earlier where the Bible says let, let not our, our lives be with covetousness but be content with such things as we have. So in Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 5 you have both the prohibition and the precept found. Let your conversation be without covetousness that's the prohibition and be content with such things as you have. There is the precept. So contentment is the opposite of covetousness. In other words, our spirit should be, I have enough. Covetousness is, is I don't have enough. It's, it's the, the uh, have more syndrome. The word covetousness in the New Testament, the Greek word is a compound word with to have and, and more. So to have more. How, how much do you need? I just need a little bit more. That's a covetous spirit. The precept command would be, Thou shalt be content. It says there, Be content with such things as you have. And the question is, Are we content? Or are we discontent? And really covetous. There are many verses that give us the precept of this commandment. 1 Timothy 6, 8, Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Again, the expression, I have enough. From Genesis, those spoken by an ungodly man, Esau, yet the idea is Jacob wanted to shower him with blessings, but he said, I have enough. I don't covet your things, though he did 
still give his brother things to take with him. Remember, John the Baptist was, was approached by many different kinds of, of people, and especially soldiers seemed to re- respect this uh, strange preacher. And they said, what's the word for us? And you remember from Luke 13, be content with your wages. <laughs> I think that's a, a message that, that uh, hits home today, doesn't it? How much should we make an hour? Well, a little bit more. The Bible says that he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. Proverbs 28. When Moses was seeking to choose elders to help him to counsel the nation, remember the advice that Jethro gave him. Choose men of truth that hate covetousness. Exodus 18.21 Elders are admonished, and these are lists of virtues that churches are to to, uh, keep in mind when they choose elders, both in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Elders are to be not covetous and not greedy. Two different words for covetousness, obviously. Not covetous and not greedy. The word greedy has the idea of love of money. It's a compound word. And the interesting thing is, the opposite in Titus 1 of covetousness is being hospitable. So that is a way in which you can defeat covetousness by just simply being generous. Generosity. So, our thoughts on contentment today. I read a book recently by Jeremiah Burroughs called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. So it is. In every heart, there's a challenge. The devil, just like when he came into the Garden of Eden, comes to you and me and says, you should have what's forbidden. Yet, God gave them all the trees of the garden but one. But the devil said, what about that one? And how we're always tempted to, to uh, covet what is illegitimate, what is out of bounds, what is someone else's, and also what shouldn't be ours, even if it's not owned by someone else. Contentment is a willingness to be satisfied with the will of God. To be able to say, I have enough, rather than I don't have enough. Matter of fact, you and I should be able to say, I have more than enough. I have more than I deserve. I deserve God's prison. And yet God has promised me His paradise and how He has taken care of me. I came into this world, like 1 Peter says, we came, or 1 Timothy 6 says, we brought nothing into this world. I don't think any of us were the exception. There's never been a baby that came out of the womb in a... uh, a suit or a dress that I know of. Um, we came. We brought nothing into this world, and we can carry nothing out. Now I do know I've never seen someone in a coffin without clothes. Usually they have clothes on, but I can say this much: they can't take the clothes with them because the clothes remain on the body that will decompose in the grave. So it's true. We brought nothing into this world, and we can carry nothing out. 
But there are things that you and I can carry with us. Right? The Bible says we can lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. Someone says contentment is a wise man's independence of circumstances. But we have to be careful. You can be independent of circumstances and really trust in whatever uh, you trust in your bank account or trust in your in lot in life. But it is true that in Christ, contentment is that it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Whether the circumstances are adverse or whether the circumstances are you know, having prosperity. Paul said, I've learned both to, to abound and to suffer loss. And there's a way to be content in both of those lots. Contentment is a Christian man's satisfaction in all circumstances. His satisfaction with God and God's will. Some thoughts on, on the precept of the Tenth Commandment. Strive for Christian contentment, number one. Not just contentment. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Versus people think that gain is godliness. But the Bible says God, godliness with contentment is great gain. The word gain means your acquisition. But there is an ungodliness, may I say, with contentment. I understand if we dig deeper, we're, we're, we have to define in that case what their real contentment is. But there are ungodly people that seem to have no uh, worries in the world. They've got so much money in the bank and, so, and they've got every, all their ducks in a row. They're healthy. Their children are healthy. They have a job. They have a good retirement. They have uh, food and clothing and, and uh, shelter. They've got all the toys in the world and they seem to be content. But it's an ungodly contentment. They're not in Christ. They're not laying up treasures in heaven. Their, their treasures are on earth. But they don't seem to worry. Though... I, I suppose our guess would be if we if we knew them a little bit closer, they're worried about losing their bank accounts. They're worried about uh, the doctor saying one day that they have cancer. But nonetheless, it says godliness with contentment is great gain. So there is that suggestion that there is an ungodliness with contentment that isn't gain, that it is it is a loss. And uh, Paul talked about the fact that he must have been content in his upbringing and his attainments. In Philippians chapter 3, he gives seven items on his resume that he was uh, born of the tribe of Benjamin, that he was, he was uh, of the stock of Israel, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was, uh, what was the fourth one, that, that Paul was, um, pardon me? Circumcised, an eight-dayer list, literally. Uh, and he had some attainments. He said he persecuted the church. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he was uh, meticulous in following the Pharisaical rules. He was content with his life, it seemed like. He was successful. He was at the top of the triangle. And yet, he realized it was all for loss. He said, I have counted all but dung that I may win Christ. 
it shocked. It was a shock wave to his system when the Lord struck him down on the road to Damascus, and he had some time in Damascus when he was blinded before the Lord sent a Christian to encourage him. He must have been thinking, my life has been an absolute waste. Not only just a waste, it's been a. I'm now bankrupt and I'm in debt. He realized that all his attainments and his inheritance didn't count for anything as far as his salvation or his eternal life was concerned. Matter of fact, he was earning judgment and hell because he was trusting in his works righteousness. And so as an ungodly person who's content, just like the man said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build better, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, that's the state of an ungodly person who, who uh, is content. He's eating, he's drinking, he's, he's being merry. There's not a, a, a uh, troubling thought in the world. But we all know if you live long enough, there's going to be, there's going to be a troubling thought. There's, there are people that have been in that state and one day they began to cough up blood. Or one day they got a phone call and some one of their loved ones was in a tragic accident. Or one day they recognized that the stock market tanked. All these, these uh, bits of information are going to come along sooner or later and we're all going to have to face the Lord. But the believer is to strive, therefore, for Christian contentment to make sure that we're godly. And then we'll, our contentment will be a true peace and, and a uh, tranquility in the Lord where we're not trusting in our gain that our ducks are in the row or that we're not unbelieving because of our loss or because the ducks are out of the row, but that we, whether it be in prosperity or adversity, we're trusting in the Lord. Philippians 4, for instance, Paul says, I know to be humbled and I know to abound. I'm taught to be filled and to be hungry. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a life verse for many people, but what's the context? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about, I can, I can roll with the punches. If, if I have adversity, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. I, 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 my focus is on Him. If I have prosperity, I'm not, being, uh, I'm not becoming idolatrous. I'm trusting in the Lord. Paul is saying, I'm self-sufficient. That's the, the word there. It, it, it means self-content. It's, in other words, he's not independent of God. He's dependent on God, but he's not dependent on his possessions or his circumstances. The Lord Jesus says in Luke 12, one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions or his subsistence. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. That's not what life's about. Those are means to an end. Means of loving your neighbor and means of providing for your family. They are not the end in itself. We have to keep that in mind. The big question is, are you a Christian? And can you have, therefore, Christian contentment? Are you Christ's? Do we have the heart of a Christian? Are we godly? 
And then we can strive for that contentment, that precept of the Tenth Commandment. Strive for Christian contentment. Secondly, as a Christian, we need to beware of covetousness. That is a positive, but it's something we need to keep in mind. Christians can be covetous. Jesus uses two words when he says, take heed and beware of covetousness. The word take heed actually means beware. It means, it's the word to look, to perceive. Look out for the temptation of covetousness. Keep your eyes peeled. Just like when you're on the road, they tell you, look ahead. Look, you know, don't just look straight ahead and look a block ahead, but keep, you know, moving your eyes back and forth. Look at your mirrors, your you're looking out for that danger. You're looking out for the box in the middle of the road. You're looking out for someone who's getting in their vehicle that's parked along the road. You're looking out for the as the ball goes across the street that a child might be running behind it. You're looking for all for deer possibilities. How often they tell you always be as you're looking as you're driving down the road in this area. You're always thinking there may be a deer, and so don't. Be so quick to jerk into the next lane if you see a deer. Be ready and look over the deer, as it were. and Hit it if you have to. You don't hit a vehicle. But the dangers. And the Lord says, beware of covetousness. Uh, be aware that it's, it's out there. Be aware that it's inside here. Be aware that, that the devil's going to tempt us to be covetous. And the second word is to keep back from it. When, it, when you're faced with the temptation to be covetous, the word is guard yourself. It's the use of a shepherd. Remember the shepherds who guarded their sheep at night when Jesus was born. And it's used of a, a guard, a prison guard, guarding his, his prisoners. So in other words, you're guarding your heart. You're looking out for the temptation. You know it's going to come. And we all know it's going to come. We've got commercials if you watch television. What are the commercials doing? gotta have this you gotta have this look look how shiny look how useful look how how uh, proud you'll be and the commercials are are keying in they're they're zeroing in on our covetous hearts the billboards out there you gotta have this lawyer you gotta have this product you gotta have this car just neighbors that live next to us you know Oh, they got a new this. I got to get a new that. Uh, just neighbors can be a testing ground. Catalogs that you look into. Advertisements all over the place on the internet, on the television, on the billboards. You got to be careful to keep, as John said, First John five twenty one. Keep yourselves from idols, children. The world says, look, our life consists of the abundance of the things which he possesses. Whoever amasses the most toys wins. That's the world. But you and I should realize we're going to meet the Lord. We want to see people in heaven that we've reached for Christ. Time that's been spent, money that's been spent to give them literature, to preach the gospel, to, to reach souls. We want to, we want to lay up treasures in heaven. So I caution us. I caution us about eBay, Amazon, Walmart, Cabela's. I looked. I googled all these advertisement websites. 
couldn't believe the number. I've never heard of them. Flipkart. And they advertise all in one destination for all of your daily needs. <laughs> no wonder why it's at the top. You know, there are people who just work to keep, keep the names of organizations at the top when you scroll. So we need to be careful. I need to be careful when I walk into Cabela's. Oh, it's so many things that you can see there. Oh, I could use that that uh, gun. I could use I could use that jacket. I could. We, there's just it's amazing how your eyes just are 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 meant to be attracted to these things. If you're on television, the QVC channel. Remember that. I know people that just sit there. And, and it's, they, they convince you within a couple of minutes that you've got to make the phone call. Quality, value, convenience. Oh, they want to make it convenient for you to be covetous. Oh, let us, let us beware of covetousness. Let us keep our eyes out because every day we're going to be tempted to be covetous one way or another. Let us trust God that covetousness is evil. And we can often cloak our covetousness with, you know, I really need that. I want that. We need to instead be careful. Is it a need or is it a craving? Beware of covetousness. Thirdly, manage our desires. We're not stoics. We're not concrete people. We do have desires. And the Bible doesn't does not forbid desires, but... To manage them, right? Take heed and beware of covetousness and, and let your life be without covetousness. For he goes on to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't it interesting? I will. And how does that go with, with beware of covetousness or let not your, your way of life be with covetousness? And be content with such things as you have. And then it goes on to say, For I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's interesting. It would seem to be. It would seem to have to say, or you would expect it to say, "For I'll take care of your needs." And he does. But there are times he tests us with need, with want, with sickness, with hunger, with thirst. But the Lord is is teaching us we cannot live by bread alone. It's not just filling our flesh. It's but by every word of God. Covetousness is, is illegitimate, illegal desires. And we have, to, we have to zero in on the fact to prioritize our desires, to manage them. Where should our desires go? The Lord our God is one Lord. There's only one God. And therefore, we don't have to divvy out our love and our devotion and our obedience. It's to one God. And he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength. That's where my chief desire should go. Is that, is that satisfying to you and me? Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. Often our hearts say, No, no, my desire is for things. It's my desire is for, for a reputation. It's for success. It's for... It's it's to be it's to be prized. It's to be in the limelight, and this is the devil coming to us with with his neon lights. When the scripture teaches that we're to delight ourselves in the Lord, that is that is 
fulfillment in life. The love of money, Paul says, 1 Timothy 6.10, is the root of all evil. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and materialism, Jesus says. You and I are to delight in the Lord and manage our desires. Whom have I in heaven but you? It's like someone said, if God isn't in heaven, if He's in hell, I'd rather be in hell than in heaven. Is that a truth in our hearts? Hebrews 13.4, we wonder how, how does marriage being honorable in the bed undefiled and whoremongers and adulterers, God being a judge, how does that go with the next verse that says let your, your way of life be without covetousness? I think there's a connection there that your covenant life marks the perimeters of your desires. In other words, the 10th commandment forbids loving, you know, coveting someone's a neighbor's wife or a neighbor's things or a neighbor's uh, vehicles of, of transportation or, or uh, achievement. And so we, we, we desire those who are, we're in covenant with. That's where our, our, our legitimate desires go. We love our own spouse. We love our own children. And not covet someone else's children, someone else's spouse, someone else's things. We're in covenant with, you know, in marriage. We're in covenant in, in, with our family. We're in covenant with our church. So we, we focus on the people that God has us interacting with. And we don't covet someone else's church. Though, in a real sense, not only is, should our desires and our fellowship and our our love be focused on the people that we're in covenant with in our own church, but keep in mind that all true churches are in one kingdom. So as we focus our desires and our love on the church that we're in covenant with, the church local, let's keep in mind that the church universal, which includes other churches, should be in the, in the, the, uh, the uh, legitimate bounds of our desires. And so we should be praying for all the churches that we can in our area and beyond, in the mission works, not just in our own denomination, but in all true denominations of God. But Jesus reminds us to corral our desires, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto us. Covetousness is focusing on all these things rather than on the kingdom of God. We to get our minds focused and discipline our minds and educate our consciences that it's the kingdom of God that's supreme. That this world is passing away in all its lusts. But the, who he that does the will of God shall abide forever. It's God getting a hold of our hearts every day. It's a struggle every day to focus on the things that matter. The things that are for eternity. Or to provide our needs for but we're not to prize our needs, our, our, our provisions. Believe that God is right. Think of the Lord Jesus, how content He was. And again, how He decided the parents that He, that he was born to. That He decided on the, on the situation, the, 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 the livelihood, the face that He wore. Everything could have been, He could have been surrounded by all kinds of servants and all kinds of luxury and yet Jesus chose to serve, not to be served. To born of, be born of a peasant family. The Bible tells us about godly women that were, that were 
adding to their bank account, the little bank account they had. And even the guy who held the bag was a, was a thief. And yet, the Lord Jesus was teaching us how to be content with the simple things in life. And yet, there couldn't have been one more content ever than the Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was a man of sorrows. And it doesn't speak about Jesus laughing. And yet, the Bible speaks about the Lord Jesus picking up little children. There had to be smiles on His face when He picked up little children and blessed them. And the Lord Jesus, when He said to His Father, as He saw His disciples so excited about the blessings that the Lord had given them, He says, Father, I thank Thee that You've withheld uh, these things from the wise and prudent, but You've revealed them unto babes. Manage our desires. Day after day, we cast down imaginations and thoughts and plans and dreams that are just uh, marked by covetousness but that we're content in the lot that the Lord has given us. And having food and raiment, we're content. We want to lay up treasures in heaven. And so next we see that contentment is not automatic. Paul talked about learning contentment. We need to be taught contentment. Philippians 4.11 I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It's not something that just happens. You don't just wake up being content. We need to pray for contentment. We need to pray against the idols that, that vow, vouch for our souls and for our attention. Remember Scripture. Remember what happened to Eve and Adam. Satan said, look at, this, look at the fruit. And says she, when she saw that it was... And she desired it. And then she took it. Just like Achan. I saw the goodly garments. I saw the gold. And I coveted. And I took. And as we see these things, we should say, it's going to, moth and rust are going to take it over. That's not what I need. I need Christ. I need the truth. I need to prepare my soul for eternity. I need to be a light in this world. Souls are more important than silver. They live by manna. God had them hand to mouth in the wilderness every day waiting for the manna. He was teaching them to be content with God's way of provision. As Jesus said, not by bread alone. I can do all things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So pour ourselves in the Scripture to prevent covetousness. Pray. Be worried about nothing. Be anxious about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Request to God, Lord, help me. Take away this urge, this strong urge to want. I'm wanting, Lord. Take the wantonness out of my heart. Replace it with a contentment, with a peace of God that passes all understanding. Help me, Lord. I don't need to eat. But I need you. I need to grow. I need, I need to be ready for eternity. There are people that won't have food today. Believers that won't have food. Believers that won't have water. But as God works in their hearts, they're saying, but Lord, I thank You that You're feeding my soul today with Your Word and thoughts of Christ. 
meditation on His Word, things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, meditating on the fact that Christ is my all in all. He's all I need. Being enduring, Philippians 4.12, I know how to abase. I know how to be hungry. I know how to suffer need, Paul says. In other words, I've endured adversity. I've been in the water through the night. I've been in, in danger of robbers, in danger of, of, of countrymen, of strangers. Paul gave a resume of all the adversity. And yet he was content to know, as he says in Hebrews, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So endurance in times of adversity, but carefulness, caution in times of prosperity. He says, I know how to abound. There were times that he had more than enough. But he didn't trust in that. He thanked God. He thanked the, the, the churches that would contribute to him. But he was focused. He wasn't a sinless man. But he was a man that was able to fight through and against covetousness. He could endure adversity. And he was careful in prosperity. Those of us who experience both, and we will in a lifetime, perhaps in the same day, we are able to be content in Christ. Keep our perspective on eternal things. We brought nothing into this world and will carry nothing with us, but only those things that will last. What is our legacy? What are we going to leave behind for our children and grandchildren and our brothers and sisters in Christ? What are we going to leave behind? Are we... Are we, are we most concerned about leaving possessions behind or a, a passion for Christ rather than gold. Faith and not fortune. Oh, there is an importance in if, if parents can lay up for their children and grandchildren, but there have been many believers that could not lay up a dime, but they left, what, as we sang earlier, more than gold could buy. They left a legacy of children who came to Christ. They left the legacy of a of a library of Bibles and Christian literature. They left the legacy that their children know they were prayed for, they were loved, they were taught. They left the memory of 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 family worship, of public worship. What is our legacy? What are we leaving our children with? What's most important to life? Are we leaving our children with a taste of covetousness or contentment? And finally, a precept of the Tenth Commandment is to rejoice with our neighbor that they have their possessions. Rejoice that they have a spouse. They have children. They have service things. They have a home. They have a job. Can we smile with them and for them? I hope so. Can we, can we drive by our neighbor's home and appreciate that they have a roof over their heads, that they have a vehicle to drive? Can we rejoice with them? But let me say, can we covet that the, not what they possess, but are we going to covet that they get the true riches? Are we desiring our neighbor to find Christ? As Jesus said to his disciples about the rich young ruler, 
key is be rich toward God. Jethro could rejoice at all the goodness that the Lord had done to Israel, Exodus 18.9. We can rejoice for all the goodness that God has given to our neighbors, our lost friends. But are we praying and desiring, coveting for them to know the Savior as we do, to have the peace of God that passes understanding, to be able to put their head on a pillow at night and know if they died tonight that they'll be with the Lord. We need to not just not covet their possessions, but contribute to our neighbor's welfare, their material and their spiritual welfare. It's interesting, and again, in Titus, not given to filthy lucre, which is covetousness, is followed by but a lover of hospitality. As I said earlier, hospitality is the reverse of covetousness. Covetousness says, I want you to be hospitable toward me. I want your things to be mine. Where contentment says, I want my things for you. I want me to share my blessings with you. Not given to covetousness, but a lover of hospitality. So, generosity strangles greed. And in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, it actually gives us two words that warn of elders not being covetous. And it says in 1 Timothy 3, 3, that gentleness sandwiches between not greedy and not covetous. Two words that are similar. So not only is generosity the opposite of covetousness, but gentleness. In other words, the person that's content is gentle. He's satisfied. He's satisfied with food and clothing. He knows that he's he's sought the will of God and he's prayed that he would have a knowledge of the will of God and he's right where God wants him. She's right in smack in the middle of God's will. And so they're content. They're gentle. They're not. The idea there is they're, a, a covetous person is anxious. A covetous person will easily get angry when they don't have their way. But a contented person, trusting in the Lord, knowing that He will never leave us nor forsake us, is able to be gentle, patient, kind, generous. Oh, the Lord is able. He is able to make us like Jesus. What did Jesus say? I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. It's in Christ that you and I can be content. It's outside of Christ, and it's keeping our and taking our eyes off of Christ where we'll become covetous. We have enough. We have more than enough in Jesus.